When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Reaction Monday. Tell us all about it. Joe Foley caught at the 21-yard line. Xavier Liddell was back to back catches. And he's got the game back inside the 25. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse. Your local Honda superstore for motorcycles, ATVs, side-by-sides, scooters, and generators. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 107.5 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Reaction Monday as we react to what happened in Williams Rice Stadium on Saturday. Florida picking up the 41-39 win over the Gamecocks, dropping them to 2-4 and four halfway through the regular season. And guys have been here for the past uh, two hours flying solo and talking a lot about the defense, people weighing in on it, and rightfully so. It was a uh, another tough defensive performance for the Gamecocks on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, possibly the toughest, I think, in terms of just um, accepting it as a fan base because, you know, it's one thing to be in a game. We can all play the what-if kind of game within the game thing where if your team loses, you say, well, man, if they'd have just done this, this, and this, they, they could have won. You can do that with a, most football games that are at least somewhat close. I think it burns just a little bit more when you look at your team and you feel like they did those things and put themselves in a position to win the game, a 10-point fourth-quarter lead, and then just to need that kind of just one play to end it for you. And that was a big topic from from Beamer on the teleconference yesterday. Um, you know, and I, I think that just feels a little bit different than, oh, man, well, we had just done this. We, uh, you know, we could have won the game. It's kind of like, all right, Get one more first down on offense. Get one more stop on defense. Make one big play on special teams. And, and then you're walking away with, with a win. And I bring that up not as a moral victory thing. I bring that up just to point out those type of games burn the most for fans, coaches, and players. Well, and I brought this up a little bit earlier on, you know, kind of comparing apples to apples here. You look at a team like Washington that went head-to-head with Oregon. They gave up Five, uh, 541 yards of offense to the Ducks, which Oregon's got a great offense, obviously. But in key moments, they forced the Ducks to go 0-3 on fourth downs two times within the 10-yard line. Obviously, ended up winning that game 36-33. Now, I don't think anybody's out going out there saying Washington has the best defense in the country anymore. But again, when it came down to brass tacks and getting those key stops, Washington was able to do that. On the flip side of things, South Carolina on Saturday, speaking of fourth downs, the final two legit drives, we won't count the one where... Florida got the safety at the end of the game, but the final two legit drives for uh, Florida that ended up closing that 10-point gap, a 4th and 11 and a 4th and 10, and Florida converts them both with ease. Yeah, in- incredibly difficult. And, you know, com- it is hard to swallow because 
Like we came into this game saying, hey, if Graham Mertz beats you through the air, you can live with it. Well, we're now on the other side of that, and it's hard to live with because of how it happened, right? If he if he throws for 423 yards and you still win this game something like, you know, 39 to 32 or 39 to 34, whatever, then you say, ah, God, there were some issues here. Man, they gave up some yards, but it'd be kind of like the Mississippi State game, right? You won. Sure. At the end of the day, who cares? You won. You you, you dive deep into those things and, and fix it. But you came in. You I didn't even realize this until I looked at the box score after. 2.2 yards a rush. It's all Florida. That's all they got. Montreal Johnson, 11 carries for 50 yards, 71 rushes on 33 attempts. There were a few runs that bounced out of there where they averaged some, you know, they had some distance. They got some yards on some runs. It wasn't until after the game where I, I was like, man, I didn't realize it was just 71 yards. And again, I think mission accomplished in terms of making Graham Mertz beat you, but it was just the situational football. And th- those two plays you mentioned, Tyler, the fourth and 10, the fourth and 11, those were the absolute backbreakers because one of them you had a fourth and 10 from Florida's 25. I mean, literally one of the most difficult situations you can face. A must convert or the game is over, given the time, given the distance, the situation. They get, what, 26 yards, Ricky Pearsall. You had the fourth and 11 where you get, a pre- you get exactly what you want. You get a pressure. You force a quick throw. Uh, you get a one-on-one to the flat to a tight end. And if you do basically anything other than what you did, they're punting that football. Game's not over at that point, sure. but they're punting the football. Instead, they go down, they keep converting, they score. And you mentioned Florida running the ball, which we know has been their MO on offense this year with the two-headed monster of uh, Montreal Johnson and uh, Trevor Etienne. And they had six runs of over 10 yards in that game. And those rushing stats are a little bit uh, misleading because they did have the 31-yard negative play at the end of the game that yes. brought that number down quite a bit. But when, when you look at it and, and their play chart, uh, they just got to the point where they realized they were killing you in the secondary where they just stopped trying to run the ball because they didn't need to because they were getting everything they wanted through the air instead. Yeah, I think if you were in a spot where you make this comment, oh, make this quarterback beat you, um, and we said that all last week, the sort of unspoken line of that is make this quarterback beat you because you don't think they can. Right. And <laughs> – you know, Graham Mertz did. Yeah, he went. He went out there and did it. And I, I think the the implication is, you know, and I was saying it leading up to the game as well, because you, if you look at the stats, they they don't really win games when when he throws for a bunch, basically. And some of that is you're kind of playing from behind. Sure. I, I think the Charlotte game, one of their games this year was like the first game in his career where. He'd thrown more than 30 passes, and mm-hmm. his team had won. And, you know, so the the blueprint is kind of there. And, you know, Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, let's factor in the fact, all right, yeah, the, the overall number is uh, skewed a little bit, but Montreal Johnson, 11 for 50, Trevor Etienne, 9 for 49. Uh, you know, that's 4.5 and 5.4 yards of carry. That's one of those things where both sides – given the context are probably okay with that like Florida's saying all right we're we're rushing for about five yards a clip we're happy with that South Carolina you, in a vacuum you don't want to give that up but based on what happened last year 
you know, you're kind of like, all right, I can, I can live with that if my offense is doing what my offense is doing. Like, if you'd have told me, one, you know, kind of one of those things where you say, hey, I'm going to give you a glimpse into the future. And if you'd have told me on Saturday morning that South Carolina would hold Johnson for however, however way it happened to 50 yards, ETN to 49, and that Spencer Rattler would throw for 313 yards, four touchdowns, that South Carolina would have 152 yards of their own on the ground, that Leggett would be Leggett, five catches for 110, that Trey Knox would continue to emerge as kind of the second receiver option like he did against Tennessee as well. And, um, you know, that South Carolina would sort of have all these other guys involved with a catch here and a catch there. Josh Simon would catch a touchdown pass. Mario Anderson would come a couple of yards short of another 100-yard day. I would have said South Carolina's winning this game. And, uh, you know, like, if if you just gave me this box score, I would Mm -hmm. say, oh, South Carolina won the game. But but obviously, that did not happen. Yeah, and I think you look at the the volume of the carries. I mean, Johnson, like you said, Wes, 11, ETN, 9. And even though they have, you know, ETN had a 28-yard long. Montreal Johnson had a 20-yard long. So certainly they had some runs that popped out that were, you know, helped them win this game. But in terms of the volume, this is that's where you'd prefer it to be for South Carolina. If if they're averaging averaging four and a half yards a carry and five and a half five almost five and a half yards a carry respectively each, and they each have fifteen carries, twenty carries, bad day at the office. Like that's a box score you would look at and say you, you don't win. On the other hand, you got Graham Mertz throwing it forty eight times. That's kind of what you would rather have. And to Wes's point, he he did. He he made a lot of big plays. Um. He threw a couple balls up that worked out. Um, you know, he Ricky Pearsall had a career day. Had 10 catches, what, 166 yards. So Mertz made some great throws. He had some big one-on-one plays for his receivers with the ball in the air. Boardingham had the great catch at the goal line. Um, he also had the catch on the 4th and 11 where he made a defender miss, got the first down. And I think a big thing is no interceptions, no turnovers for Florida, and that's something that Shane Beamer pointed out. That this was a game that obviously was super close at the end. I mean, if, if you take out the safety, you know, four-point game, um, a one-score game, and so the difference in a game like that can be just a turnover, and South Carolina wasn't able to get either A, a critical stop, or B, just to get a turnover to get uh, Florida off the field, and of course they had the late turnover South Carolina did that kind of officially killed off their chances to make a last-minute comeback. What do y'all think Florida was on third down? Uh, oh, I know what they were. It, was it like 4 of 15? It was bad. I think. They were 4 for 15. Yep. You know. <laughs> 3 of 4 on fourth down, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I – so here, here's the thing. South South Carolina actually got a, a bunch of third down stops in this game. The problem was Florida turned around and converted three fourth downs after that. And – South Carolina was not able to have many of those drives that are just true, while South Carolina's on defense, true three and outs or true like kind of four and five and outs. Most of Florida drives, you're getting these stops, but then they're kicking a field goal. And it's kind of one of those things where you're saying, you know, hey, it's a good job of forcing a field goal. In today's college football, I mean, kind of high-scoring game like this, field goals are kind of wins, but you don't want to – have the other team kicking five field goals in the game, you right. know? So I, I think for them, you needed to sprinkle in a couple of just true 
stops, you know, a well, couple it, more. And you look, uh, Florida got into the red zone five times on the game and scored four touchdowns on five of those possessions. Like, again, you're not getting those critical stops and forcing them into taking field goals uh, when it gets down to close to the goal line. Yeah, but you, you force five field goals. I feel like you kind of you kind of you look at that again you're like all right well you're forcing field goals but the problem is they gave themselves so many opportunities because pretty much I mean what were their I remember two punts right Florida punted the ball twice it, it, it was a while before they punted the football yeah and I mean if you're South you blocked yeah, one punts. of those field goals yeah you know and and so again the the whole like low mar- like both of these teams had a low margin for error right I mean, that, look at the results on the field. It kind of we thought this would be a close fourth quarter game, more scoring than I thought there'd be. Admittedly, a lot more scoring. A lot more scoring. I, I think I said what twenty eight twenty four South Carolina. So more scoring in this game, and that was with both teams arguably missing some some opportunities to score. Um, but again, the the turnovers, not forcing any. If you're South Carolina, having one late that kind of officially killed off your chances, and in the field position. I mean, Kai Kroger bombed one of his punts. But there were one or two that were not so great. It had, uh, what, two sub-30 punts. One of yeah. those what, set up Florida on that last drive, I believe. One of them set up Florida, and one of them got to it, – it kind of – you had a chance to pin them deep, and I think it ended up on the 25. Mm-hmm. And that must have been probably when they converted the 4th and 10. So maybe a difference there in putting them on the 6-yard the line, you know, as opposed to the 25. So, again, just some of the – a lot of missed opportunities for South Carolina, yes, um, but also just not making a few plays here or there that are the difference between us sitting here on Reaction Monday talking about a win with some caveats or a loss, which is what it was. Yeah, I mean, you're you're sitting here, dude, they had, I don't know if you always categorize it like this, but in a game like this, I think you can. Florida had nine scoring opportunities, basically. It's too many. And and two punts. So it, it's kind of one of those things, yeah, you're happy you're forcing some field goals along the way, but you you really would love to have at least a couple more just closed drives sprinkled in there. Continue to react to this as Reaction Monday rolls along on today's edition. The Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris with you here on the game. Reaction Monday. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 1075 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Near Reaction Monday. No special teams touchdown for the Gamecocks this past weekend, mm-hmm. which means loyally special teams touchdown contest rolls over to another week. $700 up for grabs. They head on the road to Como this weekend. Head on over to 1075thegame.com and register for your chance to win because there is a special teams touchdown this weekend. You could be the lucky winner come Monday morning when Bill and Preston announce a winner live on the early game. And we can certainly talk about special teams here in just a moment, but the primary focus coming away from Saturday is certainly on the defense, a lot of missed tackles, especially in the secondary, and a lot of people talking about Nicky Minori once again having a very, very rough outing. Well, I think for me, guys, if we want to talk about maybe the the trend here, 
I, I think it's been the fact that South Carolina has not kind of found that guy who can step in at that nickelback spot and consistently do kind of everything that is required of that spot. And, and it is, you know, Beamer made the point yesterday in the teleconference. They ask a ton of that position. Like, and that's not anything that's unique to South Carolina. I think if you're in today's college football, you're going to spread out defensively. You're going to run a four-two-five. The nickelback, the spur, whatever you know, whatever different teams call it, he's expected to do a ton. And you know, I, I think for for South Carolina, you look at they've had three different primary players at that spot, as well as you know, you've had Quan Banks who can play it. You've had uh, Spalding who's played some safety, some nickel, but has definitely played nickel at times in his career, and. They ask a lot out of that spot in run support. That's a spot that typically uh, you can bring pressure from. Yeah, that's a spot that's sometimes shifted over into the box as more of like a linebacker. But teams that have speed at receiver, specifically at that slot position like Florida did with Ricky Pearsall, they're attacking South Carolina at nickel. We saw North Carolina do it. We saw Mississippi State do it. We saw and, – and so then these are different players in, in all these occasions. Um, Tennessee did it to an extent. They had the one deep ball that, that did kind of hit on, I think it was like a little slot fade. I thought Nick played pretty well at that spot against Tennessee. Um, the, pro- the problem is if you make a mistake at that spot, it becomes glaring. Like we, we don't see the 60 reps that you did perfect. We see the, the glaring – reps and you know this does kind of the other side of this there's no there's no perfect defense and when we sit there and say well hey why are you playing off coverage in a situation well the the flip side to not playing off coverage and playing a bunch of man and saying let's let's go be aggressive and play man coverage is you're you're gonna get beaten one-on-ones a lot too so there's a give and take to everything you do but the the biggest issue to me is just not quite having that perfect fit for that nickelback spot or or to me something we've talked about having another option when you are in when you're in pure passing situations so in his post-game press conference on saturday coach beamer kind of went on a little bit of a rant talking about them installing certain plays that didn't end up being effective as they thought it was going to be and i know a lot of people are obviously talking about clayton white coming away from this game Where's that balance between calling it right and having your guys on the field execute? Oh, that's the trillion-dollar question, right? Like, at what point is it on the players? At what point is it on what the players are being coached to do? Um, you know, it, it's always a combination. I I don't know where that stands right now. I, I, think, I think ultimately it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's on the coaches ultimately. Um, but... I'm I'm sure some of the things we saw that were messed up on Saturday, the coaches are probably behind closed doors thinking we 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 taught this a thousand times, you know. And yeah. a great example is that the three deep bust, right? They had a they had a deep over out. You're in three deep, an over out should be about the last thing that you hit. You know, you've got a safety in two corners backing up. They hit an over route, and, and Florida had a good concept against it to get your eyes in the wrong place. But that's the time where you play zone, right? Because, 
you know, I'm sitting there going, they probably need to zone up a little bit more, but they've had some busts in zone coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, so there there is a balance. It's hard to find the answer. I think, look, there are several problems that I think this whole nickel situation, you know, after this game, after, heck, after the North Carolina, this has been a talking point after North Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee. Now this game, it's a common theme, right? It's, it's, it's a talking point. If it wasn't before, it officially is now. And so, Wes, like you said, they've tried some different personnel combinations. Playing 80 – Beamer is correct that when you play 86 plays, you are going – and you play that much man coverage in that volume, you are going to give up some plays. That doesn't really make you feel better, though, overall, because, A, you don't need to be playing 86 plays on defense. you got to find a way to get off the field. doesn't matter – the scheme, you got, you can't play 86 plays because that is going to give the other team, if you play 86, they're getting they're converting, they're moving the ball down the field, they're probably scoring points, right? If you go back and look any game where an offense plays 86 plays, there's some points attached to that. They've tried different personnel combinations. And Ricky Pearsall, if you go, I mean, what do you have, 10 for 166 mm-hmm. and the big touchdown? Yep. He played about half and half in the slot and outside. It was almost a dead even split. He had success against a lot of players. The the one player, they I think this was probably by design, they tried not to get him matched up on Marcella Style, which South Carolina's best cover corner. He didn't even have, according to PFF, a matchup, a target against Marcella Style. He had five against Steeman Worry, three first downs and a touchdown, but he also had a couple targets and a catch against OD Fortune. Two targets, two catches against Kilgore. Three catches, three targets against Stone Blanton. So they moved him around and got him in some... So credit them for that, right? But I think the question that probably a lot of Gamecock fans have, and rightfully so, is, hey, it, two things. Can you figure out something schematically of what is your best five? If you are going to play man coverage, which is what they want to do, you don't have Dial, Cam Smith, and Rush out there. We've talked about this plenty of times. You don't have that. So are you kind of square peg, round hole right now? Should you – I know your identity, you want it to be to play more man coverage, but can you do that? Are you asking your guys to do something that they have had – yes, they've had success in spots, but overall, if you look at the overall body of work, they've had too many big plays that have gone against them. So I think that's a fair question to ask. Yeah, and but I, I think if they do do that, we have to kind of accept, like, yes, that – if you're playing zone coverage, especially if you're playing a lot of three deep, the cornerbacks are gonna they're gonna be off. Like they're yes, gonna be playing off. Like that is the way it is designed. There's a trade off because they're they're bailing out. It's literally exactly what it sounds like. It's three deep coverage in most kind of your base three deep. There's all these different variations you can do to it. But like Chris said, you're gonna have one safety drop into the middle. The two corners are gonna drop into the other thirds, and the other safety is gonna come down sort of into the box. So. You know, I, I think for – there are trade-offs to every coverage. I Then, you know, something we haven't even talked about yet during this show, during this episode, What what is the pass rush element of this? It felt Definitely. like to me on several completions, and I admittedly normally have rewatched the game by now. I have not rewatched this game, to be completely honest. No, but it felt to me watching it live like – there were several throws downfield where the pass rush is like a half second late getting there. Like you've beaten a block, 
you've gotten a path to the quarterback, and there's either a miss in the backfield where you have a free rusher or that pass rush is just not quite able to get there. And that that's an element to this as well. That might not be what you blame on every completion, but if you want to talk about the entire pie of blame, of why is something happening, the pass rush has to at least be a part of this conversation as well because these things happen connected with one another. And you could tell Shane Beamer thought so based on his comments, especially last night, having had a chance to kind of step back from it, go watch the film yeah, on he, Saturday night, Sunday. He clarified things a lot on the yeah. teleconference last night. And I think part of, you know, one of the things that stood out that he said Sunday night, guys, was, you know, when we call a pressure, we've got to go, you know, and that's not like a technical coaching term, but you kind of feel like he felt like they needed more juice out of the pass rush. Maybe maybe the players were a little unsure. Maybe, you know, a half, like you said, Wes, a half step too slow, whether it was thinking too much or whether it was literally just not getting there. But that definitely played a role in all this. We'll continue to react to South Carolina's 41-39 loss to the Gators on Saturday as Reaction Monday rolls along. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs at the game. We're talking about sponsored by Love Chevrolet on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Finish it. That's not like us. Uh, there were some great individual plays and efforts out there tonight, but at the end of the day, uh, we didn't make enough plays. We got guys in position to make plays and get off our, get off the field and end the game. We didn't get it done. Uh, plenty of opportunities on offense to finish the game. Uh, didn't get it done, and uh, just overall a, a disappointing night. Proud of the fight of our team, without a doubt. Uh, that was a great football game. We knew it was going to be a four-quarter SEC war. Told our guys all that, let that all week. Uh, I want to thank the crowd. They were a weapon for us today, knew they would be. Um, and in the end, we just didn't uh, do enough good things today to to finish the game. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on a Reaction Monday. Tyler West and Chris along with you going until noon. That, of course, is Coach Beamer after the game. Common theme, did not do enough to get it done there. And obviously when you have a tough defensive performance like the Gamecocks had on Saturday, a lot of people talking about Clayton White coming away from this game, and I'll ask you guys just straight up, where do you stand with Clayton White as the uh, Gamecocks defensive coordinator right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously at this point, like I, I'm I'm not a jump to conclusions person. I think there's a long season to go, but um, at the same time, I, I think Clayton White is sitting there probably having to say, all right, what what can we adjust? Is there is there anything that can be done to this iteration of South Carolina's defense that uh, can give them a little bit better chance the final half of this year. Now, the the, the negative side of this is that you, you just had your bye week. So wholesale changes are kind of uh, tough to do at, at this point. You know, I, I think certainly it has not been a year to write home about for South Carolina's defense. And I, I do think, we, you know, Chris, you and I kind of anticipated – Maybe we didn't anticipate the defense being like this, but there is an aspect here of you had so much attention on the offense for two years. And a lot of times 
narratives get repeated and, um, you know, we, we all kind of latch on to things. The offense and, quote, fixing the offense was on everyone's mind. And Marcus Satterfield was kind of the, the guy that everybody liked to go after for two years. And, hey, I get it. There were certainly a lot of problems with South Carolina's offense for a lot of those games. But now, you know, you, you bring in Dow Loggins, you make a change there. And I think people like Dow Loggins. And I, I think uh, the offense has been pretty good for the most part. But at this point, the attention gets turned back to your defense. And on that, uh, again, going back to last season, so many questions about Marcus Satterfield and what was going on with the offense. Colin Taylor sent me a spreadsheet yesterday to the surprise of no one. The last 10 FBS opponents that South Carolina's faced, so five this season and five on the back half of last season, they're averaging giving up 456 yards of offense to FBS opponents in their last 10 games. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's tough, man. Um, the numbers are what they are. I, um, by the way, did Colin, um, did Colin hand off? Did he, uh, what's the word? Did he donate? What's the word when somebody. Bequeath. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to use that word, and then I was um, like, I don't, that sounds dangerous. Now, he, I don't know if. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly. Yeah. He did say I could not have access to all of his spreadsheets, but he bestowed oh, this man. one upon me yesterday. What was he? Who's he saving them for? I don't know. He might. He might be trying to sell them. Business Maybe. idea. You know what? If if uh, stats of war on Twitter can have SEC stat cast uh, website, Colin can have a spreadsheet website, right. right? ColinTaylor.com. That's not a real website. I don't know. He, it might be. He, he might have had it by May, now. Maybe Colin has setting all this up to start ColinTaylorGameCocks.com. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, he texted me yesterday, said there's a spreadsheet in your inbox, and I said, thank you, Spreadsheet Fairy. Yes. Nice gift by him. But, yeah, that, that that's an alarming number. And, look, I, I, I totally agree with Wes that I think just in general in football, People are hyper-focused. This is NFL, college, high school, peewee, whatever. Like, people are hyper-focused on offense and scoring okay. points. It's tilted that way. It's always tilted that way. And, like, I even think about the Tennessee game in 2021. Like, South Carolina just got destroyed defensively in that game. And they didn't play complimentary football at all, right? The offense was not good either. But, like, even coming out of that game – I feel like there was almost more conversation about the offense. Like, ah, oh, Jordan Birch, you asked him to throw a pass. And then, you know, and like, you didn't run the ball. You didn't do anything offensively. And so I think just because of a psychological tilt that way, there has been, to your point, Wes, over the past couple of years, there has been a little bit more of an emphasis on the offense. Uh, and I think people looked at it and said, gosh, you've got more talent. You should probably be better. You know, and then we saw kind of that flip switch at the end of the year. But some of the defensive issues have gotten uh, buried at times. I think that's fair to say. And look, coming into this year, uh, we knew that there would be there would be some questions to answer and some issues. Mm-hmm. There would be some questions in the secondary, be some questions rushing the passer. Can you stop the run better? They have they have all surfaced. We've seen all of them. The run the run defense has been better in spots, but it's been inconsistent. Your third down defense, you played well in that regard against Florida, but you gave up three crucial fourth downs, right? So, like, if it's not one thing, it's been the other, and they just haven't been able to find that consistency in the areas that they were expected to have some questions in. Those questions have largely remained or been inconsistent. Uh, Here's where I think 
the discussion gets very complicated because I, I think to an extent, um, whether this was the real reason or not, I, I, I think it's fair to say part of the reason you get so frustrated with the offense the prior two seasons, and especially last year, was you look at the offense up and down, Chris, and you say there's talent all over this offense. And, you know, there were spots year one where you're, you know, they had to figure out quarterback and they're playing, uh, you know, God love them. They're playing Zeb Nolan. You know, they, they literally pull him off the, off the coaching staff, put him in there. But year two, you're sitting there saying, man, they got Spencer Rattler. They got Marshawn Lloyd. They got a veteran offensive line group. They got tight ends. They got Juice Wells. You're saying this should be better than it is. I think defensively, whether this is the reason or not, I think it has been fair to give a bit of a pass on the defense because you're sitting there saying, do you have elite across the board SEC talent or not? And um, they they obviously have SEC talent, but I think when we say SEC talent, we mean above average SEC talent. Like contextually, can you go win in this league? Well, you know, ultimately then it becomes like, all right, how long do you give a staff? Because in college football, going out and recruiting players and upgrading your talent, that's a part of the conversation as well. So I, I don't, I don't think they necessarily inherited a loaded defense. Now, you inherited some players. Um, some of those players, you give them credit for kind of, you know, trying to, I was about to say it probably a bad way. Some of those players were not making impacts at all. Mm-hmm. And then you develop them and put them in a position to succeed. Jalen Foster, for example. Darius Rush made a huge jump under the staff. So some of these players, yeah, they're must-champ guys. But then you say, well, they developed them. But at some point, like, where is the cutoff line where you're saying, all right, you know, maybe there are, there's talent lacking at some spots. There's certainly depth lacking. We can all agree on that. But then how long is fair to, to, like, let you build up that talent. So I, I think that's a part of this conversation as well. Absolutely. And we'll continue to react to what happened uh, yesterday or on Saturday as the week goes along. There is one positive that came away from this weekend, though, and that is in the recruiting world. We'll talk about that coming up as we wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on Reaction Monday here on the game. Reaction Monday. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 1075 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. Here's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Here in Reaction Monday, Tyler West and Chris along with you. Of course, we'll spend... Plenty of time this week continuing to react what happened between the Gators and the Gamecocks this past Saturday at Williams-Brice Stadium. There was some good news that came away from this weekend last night, or yesterday afternoon, I guess. We got a welcome home tweet from Shane Beamer, and we learned that was, as anticipated, the commitment of Jalua Solomon, the four-star athlete prospect out of Georgia, officially committing to the Gamecocks after recently decommitting from Auburn the other week. And guys, I guess the biggest question is why and how did this happen? 
Yeah, I. Uh, how long do you have? I think uh, six minutes. <laughs> let me let me first of all officially pull out my official stamp, the dude stamp. Ah, no, Delewis is a dude. He's a dude. We might need a sounder for that too. I'll work on that. Okay. Yes, we need a sounder for the dude. Cool voice. He he is a dude, and I like guys with high school versatility. Athletes that can do all types of different things at a high level, to me, just at a much higher clip, succeed at the next level um, because they're they're asked to do so many different things within their position group in college. And J. Lewis, rightfully so, listed as an athlete but going to be a defensive back for South Carolina. We'll get into what that may mean here in a second because I'm going to actually answer Tyler's question. This has been weirdly trending to South Carolina, I would say, ever since he committed to Auburn. Um, Now, that that started out as, hey, this one's not over. Don't say anything yet, but this one's not over. (laughs) And then it sort of gradually went from, hey, this is not over to, well, South Carolina actually feels pretty good here to, well, when is this going to happen? And, you know, South Carolina stayed the course. Torian Gray was at his game the Friday before South Carolina played Mississippi State. We started hearing then. Weirdly, Chris, we heard the exact date that was going to happen. And to give you all a little behind the scenes, when you hear a date, there's like a 10% chance of it ever actually being true because everything just gets moved around. Look at Daniel Hill. Yeah, we, we, we heard a date it was going to happen, and he ended up decommitting on from Auburn on that exact day. And, uh, you know, so that rumor was kind of floating around out there, but ends up being true. And then once he decommitted from Auburn, it was just a matter of, all right, if he commits right now, it's going to be South Carolina. Does he give other teams a chance to try and land him? In this case... It was South Carolina. And I think, Chris, a lot of credit, not just to the staff, but to these guys who are already committed to South Carolina. You know, your Dante Reno's, Cam Pringles, those guys. I mean, uh, your Mazio Bennett's of the world. Those guys really stayed on Julius Solomon when he was committed to Auburn. They did. And it was pretty evident that, like, if he had committed to South Carolina on his original commitment date, we would have been still monitoring for Auburn, you know. I mean, it, it was so close that you knew that there was still going to be. It, it, I remember that day, like later that evening, it was like, yeah, like you said, Wes, like th- this one didn't over yet. So if there was so much uncertainty between Auburn and South Carolina, why would he go ahead and commit to Auburn if you still, if he still, if many people still felt like it could go the other way? That's recruiting. You're at, you're just ready to be be done with it, honestly. So you think, yeah, you think you want to commit. And then you do? Well, that certainly doesn't stop teams from pursuing you, obviously. If, if anything, no. it ramps it up. No, but, it, it, I mean, recruiting's an interesting, it's a unique beast. There's, there's not much like it. You and never made a decision, Tyler, and immediately regretted it? <laughs> well, I also wasn't, you know, a four-star prospect coming out yeah. of high school being recruited by D1 institutions. You ever so. bought some ice cream and been like, ah, I shouldn't have got this ice cream. I wanted the other no. one. Really? You yeah, never, maybe maybe I should have got another You never just bought something that you're yes. like, ah, I wish I got the An other impulse one. buy. Yes. Yeah, but this is a big pickup, though. But by the way, Solomon's brother, Zayden Walker. His also teammate, a dude. <laughs> all, definite dude. 2025 linebacker slash Russian. Number 10 prospect in the country. Number one edge in the country, according to the on-three industry ranking. 
Big timer. Georgia favored right now. Tyler's Georgia Bulldogs. But let's see. We'll see. Could could they? Hey, they can't get everyone. They can sure try. They they come they come pretty close. Uh, So that that's another angle to watch. Jaden Walker. He's been on campus previously, so we'll see where that one goes. But Solomon's such a versatile guy. Like if you if you said, hey, this guy's going to be a college receiver. Okay, I could see it. Hey, he's going to be a safety. Hey, he's going to be a nickel. He's going to be a corner. He can do a lot of different things for you. And so I think he's the type of guy that if he comes in, learns the system, um, wouldn't be surprised to see him be an early contributor, maybe at that nickel spot, because I think next season we're going to go in with some of the same questions. Hey, who is the nickel? We'll see what happens in the transfer portal. But this is a guy I, I don't know, but I could see him factoring in there. Well, and obviously he was on campus this weekend watching the Florida game and seeing the issues they had in the secondary. I could see how he would look at that and say, well, I could probably get on the field here pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think a, yet another example of recruits don't necessarily watch a game the same way media does, the same way a fan does. Like, for one, they're kind of looking at it like, all right, did I have a good time? Like, did I have fun? Was it a good atmosphere? Do I fit this scheme? Do I like and trust these coaches? I, I think a, a lot of these players, now some of them come from programs that are undefeated or have only lost a game, but they they kind of know that you go into every single week at their high school level too. You win some, you lose some. So I don't think they really hang on to the uh, – they're, they're not in the locker room for you, like getting ready for a game, I mean. Like they they don't hold on to emotionally – did this team I'm watching that I may play for one day, it's not going to burn them inside the way it does a fan watching the game. So they don't really process a loss the same way anybody else does, I think. Well, and you can have a guy like Tori and Gray point fingers at and say, say, Steve, we need you. Come in, contribute, play right yeah. away. I mean, just one quick example that came to my mind, like, and maybe this one, people won't like this one because he doesn't play here anymore, but Jordan Birch, like when he was getting recruited, Remember Clemson was making a push, Georgia. Jordan Birch was at the 2019 South Carolina game where they got beat 30-3. to They weren't even in the game. Like, it wasn't even close. And he was there, and everybody was, oh, he's not going to come here now. Still came. I mean, like, it doesn't, to your point, they don't get as emotionally invested. And, Wes, all the recruits I've talked to since the game, been pretty positive feedback, actually. Yeah, I talked to Ryan Montgomery. He had a great time. Liked what he saw from the offense. Nick Harbour's official visit was for the Georgia game last year, which was an absolute blowout, as Tyler can tell you. It was. Speaking of which, we didn't even get to Nick Harbour. We'll have to uh, jump into that tomorrow because he finally did the one thing everybody's been waiting for, catch a pass for Spencer Rattler on Saturday. We'll dive into more of that coming up tomorrow as, well, it won't be Reaction Monday, but we'll continue to react to it as the week goes along. It's been the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on your Reaction Monday right here on The Game.